Welcome back to the interview podcast on the Wine Millbank Podcast Network from Millbank, South Dakota. This is Craig Weinberg. Uh, today we have uh, our one lone representative in the U.S. House. Uh, Congressman Dusty Johnson is with us. Uh, he's got a short time today, so we're going to jump right into it with him. Uh, DustyJohnson.House.gov if you are interested in checking out uh, his official congressman page. Let's get right into it. Congressman Dusty Johnson. I went back and kind of reviewed our last time, last March to 2020. And at the time, that's when the CARES Act was just coming out. And I know we were both kind of in awe of the dollar price tag that came with that. That's kind of trivial now, that dollar amount (laughs) in the wake of this. Uh, What are we looking at for, I mean, are we just so far down the road of debt and debt and debt with this that there's just no coming back? Well, the president has proposed lots and lots of $2 trillion package. He's sort of stacking one on top of another. Mm-hmm. But, you know, most of them have not passed yet. I mean, I know that there is some interest in D.C. Um, you know, among my Democratic colleagues in passing those along reconciliation lines. But that's not a done deal yet. And I do think $30 trillion in debt is a problem. I don't think most Americans care about it like they should. And you don't have to take my word for it. I mean, you can look at prominent Democrats like Bill Clinton's Treasury Secretary, Larry Summers. I mean, he said that this level of borrowing, this level of spending mm-hmm. is uh, does endanger our country. And I do think it's the kind of thing we need to be concerned about. A trillion dollars is a million million. Oh, that's crazy. <laughs> it is. It really is. It boggles the mind. And I would tell you that under the last COVID package, you know, states and localities got four times what they needed to deal with COVID. Don't take my word for it. That comes from Moody Analytics. And uh, 85% of the, the emergency funding we had to get to schools won't be spent until 2023 or later. You know, a lot of this spending isn't even, it, it doesn't, it's not even going to be used for what the proponents of it say that it's going to. It, it's a shocking amount of money. How do they get away with that then? I mean, is it, would it be safe to say they're lying to the public? Oh, I think that is, I mean, that's the kind of rhetoric we hear a lot about, uh, a lot of in D.C. I always try to view people's actions in uh, the most positive light possible. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't think most of them are lying. I think they have a drastically different worldview than I do. I think... Uh, and, and one of my Democratic colleagues came to me the other day and, and said, in essence, this, that, you know, even if the money isn't spent in exactly the right way, or even if it was a little bit too much, the there is an error, there's a greater risk in spending too little than in too much. And I just think, Craig, it's a worldview of, of folks who think sloshing around federal government money mm-hmm. Uh, even if it's not targeted, even if it's not focused, will ultimately improve people's lives. Uh, I disagree with them. They may be lying to themselves, but I, I don't think, uh, by and large, this is part of a, a, a large-scale deceit uh, that's organized by every Democrat in the country. I, I just think we're dealing with different worldviews. I think that's probably fair. Um, now, it's been, well, what has it been? 130 days or something like that? 
roughly since the administration changed. Um, as far as the the atmosphere, the demeanor around the U.S. House of Representatives, uh, is that different under a Biden-Harris administration than it was under Trump-Pence? There was a belief, I think, among a lot of uh, my colleagues on the other side of the aisle that you know, all of the rancor in Washington, D.C. was really Donald Trump's fault. Mm-hmm. And that if we could uh, change over, get a new president, that uh, things would kind of get back to normal, that we'd start working together again. <laughs> that has not been the case. Uh, I suspect 80 or 90 percent of my colleagues on both sides of the aisle would tell you that uh, the, the the atmosphere in the, the House and the Senate are uh, more tenuous, more uncomfortable, more partisan now than they were six months ago. Is that because the the far left wing of the Democrat Party, the, the uber liberal side, um, feels emboldened because there's a D on the top of every branch of government? Yeah, I wouldn't say that it's just, you know, the squad. I, I would say, yeah, I mean, I don't. I have lots of disagreements with Joe Biden. I certainly didn't vote for him. I would not generally put him in the same category as the squad. But I think all Democrats, I shouldn't say all, but I think uh, the the large number, the the bulk of governing Democrats uh, see Democratic control of the House, Democratic control of the Senate, Democratic control of the White House, and they understand that they don't need to work with Republicans. Mm-hmm. And compromise is generally something that people do when they need to do it. And the reality is that the Democrats simply don't need to do it. So that has, I mean, one party control Mm -hmm. has ushered in a shocking lack of bipartisan energy. And then I would also say January 6th has cast a a long shadow over interactions between Democrats and Republicans. And frankly, Republicans have more than our fair share of problems as well. I don't want to just blame the Democrats. The reality is Republicans are fighting more uh, amongst themselves about Marjorie Taylor Greene or about Liz Cheney or about Donald Trump. Uh, We just can't get out of our own way, which also makes it a little bit harder to work together, um, you know, both within the party as well as across party lines. Uh, Is it proper to call what happened on January 6th an actual insurrection? Oh, I know people kind of get wrapped around the axle on the semant on the semantics of it. Were most of the people who eat, who broke into the Capitol, did they believe that their actions was going to uh, depose the Senate and the House and put in place a new House and Senate? I don't think that was their intention. Uh, but I don't know. I mean, I think we one of the reasons that I want to get to the bottom of so many of these unanswered questions is because I, you know, I do think words matter. I think the motivations matter. I'd like to learn more. More than 400 people have been charged with their role in the January 6 riots. Clearly they were riots, right? Clearly there was violence. Clearly it was a, an incredibly dark day in American history. And I think we can, if we can use terms that we can get 90% of us to agree on, uh, something like riots, then I think it makes it easier for us to, uh, the 90%, mm-hmm. to work together to tackle other issues associated with January 6th. You, I've seen uh, in the news reporting around our state here in South Dakota that uh, you are horrible because you didn't vote, maybe I misread it, you didn't vote to create a, a 9-11 style commission, a 1-6 commission to investigate these riots, and that makes you horrible. Is that true? 
that is well number one i i don't think i'm horrible although there are lots of people who would, who would allege that i'm horrible for all manner of reasons uh yeah I, you you have i think your facts largely right except for one key one and that is that i voted for the january 6th commission oh okay i misread that yeah uh, and so well, there are but you know there are clearly people who are upset by that you mm -hmm. know they're largely probably exclusively uh republicans and most Republicans in the House and in the Senate voted against the January 6th commission. I think it was a grievous error on their part. Why? So one of the complaints, the people who don't want a commission, here's what they say to me. They say, gosh darn it, we can't trust Nancy Pelosi. This is just going to be a political football, and it's going to be used to influence the 2022 elections. I don't, I don't disagree with any of that. And so now that, in essence, the Senate has killed the, the January 6th commission, what will we have? The person who will be in charge will be Nancy Pelosi, the, uh, which we don't trust. She will absolutely uh, do something akin to forming a select committee like the Republicans did with Benghazi. It will absolutely be in the headlines every week between now and the election. And it will be an entirely a Democratic controlled process. So did killing the commission in any way whatsoever uh, address the concerns raised by the opponents of the commission. It did not. But are, it, are it, you satisfied? It, it, both the way I would, though, Craig, here's the three things that we get with a commission. Okay. We get no politicians on that. We only get security and intelligence experts. We get a 50-50 split between Republican appointees and Democratic appointees. And we get a deadline that the report has to be issued before the end of this year. Those are three, three guarantees we no longer have in a Nancy Pelosi driven process. We should have we should have had the commission. Uh, are you satisfied that the 9/11 commission uh was proper and accurate? Yeah. What they, oh, what yeah. They're finding? I, I don't think, I think when you look at the overwhelming bulk of experts, the uh, uh disproportionately large consensus was that that 9/11 commission's findings were uh spot on, very appropriate and very thorough and in-depth. Uh switching gears here, um I heard a reporter ask President Biden, um, probably in a couple of weeks now, um, asked if he thought that additional uh, federal government unemployment guaranteed in uh, assistance was affecting the job market and effectively keeping people out of jobs. And his answer was a curt nope. Is he right? No, I mean, it's utter balderdash. I mean, you know, with, with the president. That's a uh, safe oh, word. Yeah, I, I, uh, yeah. <laughs> balderdash. <laughs> yeah, I, I uh, you know, and I don't, I think you know me, Craig, I'm not a guy who, who resorts to the sort of easy <laughs> partisan barbs, but I mean, come on, the president cannot have us believe that the law of supply and demand, uh, that, that those laws don't matter. He can't have us believe that people don't respond to incentives. Uh, he couldn't possibly expect us to believe that paying people an additional amount of money not to work wouldn't influence behavior on the margins. No rational person could believe that an extra $300 a week would not influence behavior. The reality is, even in South Dakota, where we have exceptionally low unemployment, there are 14,000 people on unemployment. We want to get them into the, into the workforce and around every corner of your home in Millbank or mine in Mitchell, there's a help wanted sign. And if some mm -hmm. of those 14,000 people uh, could uh, could help 
uh, with the, the overwhelming number of job openings we have in the state, many of them unskilled. So it's not as though, of course, we have a skills gap, but, but it is not as, as though there aren't jobs for unskilled workers. There are. There are tens of thousands of them. Uh, I've got a bill. Uh, I'm the lead Republican uh, on the bill that would end uh, federal enhanced unemployment benefits. Every adult who wants to be vaccinated in this country against COVID-19 uh, has been able to, to be vaccinated. There, uh, we should return to the pre-COVID unemployment insurance system. Uh, you know, COVID is not the order of the day anymore. I don't know why we would have a special enhanced COVID-19 UI benefit that is clearly holding back this country. Well, that's, if, if you listen to any of the news, um, they would imply that COVID is worse than it was. And that it's it's the the thing that is still a problem. I mean, I heard this morning that there's possible talk of a fourth stimulus. Uh, is, is that is that a real thing that's coming down the pike, or is that just a well, pipe dream? Well, first I would back up, and, and you may be you know accessing news different places than I am, but but I don't hear any reputable expert say that COVID is worse now than it was six or nine or twelve months ago. I mean, the reality is in South Dakota, of course, so many in the national media love to attack South Dakota. Last time I checked, our seven-day average for new cases is less than one-half a case per county. And uh, we have uh, lower levels of deaths and infections than we have had at any time for a year. So I think by any uh, data-driven measure, any expert would, would acknowledge that, that we are clearly far, far along the path of recovery, which I think is why the CDC has said that uh, vaccinated individuals can partake in all activities. I mean, they're all green activities now if you've been vaccinated. And so uh, clearly, you know, COVID is not worse than it has been in the past. As far as the fourth stimulus, I mean, I think they will probably, because COVID is no longer a very effective rationale for additional spending, I think you'll have other rationales. And clearly the president uh, with his build back better did not have to have COVID as, as a foundation. He's got lots of other reasons why he wants to spend trillions. Uh, quickly, what are your thoughts on these states that are incentivizing um, with lotteries? And uh, I think in Minnesota, I think they're, you can get free fishing licenses and different options if you're vaccinated. Are we, are, are we effectively creating classes in America with this? Like if you're vaccinated, you're a special class that gets special things. If you're unvaccinated for this thing, you are just kind of, a, you're normal, but these other people are super and they get ex access to things. Is, is that a, a proper thing to do in America? Well, I think those are kind of, I mean, I don't think the, the, uh, the lotteries in and of themselves create a special class. Um, you know, I don't know. There's such a tendency in today's hyper rancorous environment. Anytime anybody tries anything new, generally the other side, although sometimes both sides, jump on and pile on. And I'm a big believer in entrepreneurial thought. I am just not scared of new ideas. I'm not scared of somebody trying something that's a little avant-garde, a little on the edges. <laughs> Maybe I'm not sure if it's a good idea, but there are all kinds of ideas that have been rolled out by nonprofits and businesses and governments over the, over, over the years that I probably on day one didn't think was a very good idea that ultimately on day 10 or 100 or 1000, I had to acknowledge, oh, that worked. I didn't think it would, but it did work. Mm -hmm. And so I'm not, I try not to be offended by people trying new things because sometimes they, they can be wickedly effective in, in moving us down the path. Do, do you see a, uh, a, a vaccine passport coming down the pike at all? 
mandated? Oh, I, uh, I mean, not a va- national vaccine passport. Uh, I mean, I certainly think uh, some uh, business enterprises and uh, for certainly some employers will try to require uh, some proof of vaccination before people you know, physically enter their premises. But I don't think you'll see a national vaccine passport. Is that appropriate for a, a business to require a medical uh, procedure to access their facility? Well, I mean, I think historically, I mean, the most, uh, you know, even libertarian approach about freedom is that uh, one man's freedom to swing his fist ends at the tip of another person's nose. And that is the difficulty when you have a public health situation, is that uh, clearly the, the decisions of one person can impose very real costs on others. And so, uh, you know, traditionally, uh, American jurisprudence has found that employers can require uh, certain vaccinations before somebody uh, reports to work. And uh, although I don't expect that you'll see a lot of state governments uh, or really any mandate that employers do something on that front, I do think you'll have some who will make those decisions as, as they have made in the past with other vaccinations. Awesome. Well, I have a ton more questions, but your time is limited. So I just want to thank you for taking the time to come on. Uh, Representative uh, Dusty Johnson, you are our lone congressperson in the U.S. House from South Dakota. And uh, where can people find you and uh, on the interweb and find out what you're doing? Yeah, uh, we'd certainly love to continue the conversation with folks. You know, so often social media platforms are the most uh, organic and up to date. And so at Rep Dusty Johnson is the handle on Twitter or Facebook or on Instagram. And of course, they can find us on our official house website as well. And always, uh, always happy to get feedback from the bosses. Perfect. Well, I appreciate it. Um, Let's do this again. See you next time. Sounds good. Thanks, Greg. You bet. Thank you. Congressman Dusty Johnson, thank you so much for taking the time you had today uh, to talk to our listeners a little bit and explain kind of what's going on and your perspective of what it's like uh, in the U.S. House of Representatives uh, as a transition into a new administration and a different party administration. And uh, as we wind down, hopefully, this pandemic... Uh, and the response to it. Um, This is the interview. Whymailblank.com is our website. If you have any questions or comments, whymailblank at gmail.com is the email address. Send us your uh, comments. If you want to help support the show, go to whymailblank.com, click on the podcast button, and there's a donate button there. Everything you donate uh, goes to help this this, uh, program and this network get better. So we appreciate all the help we get. If you have a story to tell, send us that information as well. Thanks a lot. Hope you come back. Have a wonderful day and stay safe.